Good afternoon. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling. Happy Friday afternoon. Friday afternoon, indeed. We will tell you at some point this afternoon about a unique experience that Greg and I got to do today over at the Manitoba Public Insurance Auction Hall on Plessy's. They had, uh, they've developed a new virtual reality simulator to highlight the problems that can be caused with distracted driving, impaired driving, and speeding. And I was in the distracted driving scenario, and it was intense. It was fun because it was my first virtual reality experience, but it was also really harrowing because of the fatal consequences that occur because of this scenario. So we'll tell you about that. If you've got a computer in front of you, I will let you know. You can go to our Facebook page for 680 CGOB. We've got some video up there, three different videos. The latest one will give you the experience to a certain extent and then Brett's immediate reaction to it. So if you're uh, looking for something to toggle between while you're listening to us this afternoon, that's an opportunity for you as well. Richard Cloutier is here in the meantime, joining us live to talk about this report, what is happening with emergency rooms. And Rich, I'll be honest with you, I'm just getting caught up sort of as the, the minutes go by here because of what we were doing this morning. So it's a good thing you're here to get us up to speed. Well, it's historic. Uh, it's a generational change in the city when it comes to health services. And I would also suggest it's a foreshadowing It's what's going to happen in the rest of the province. And uh, I've entering my 25th year here at 680 CJOB. I started back in December of 1992. Shortly thereafter, I had an interview with Dr. John Wade, who went on to become chair of the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority. And he had done his interning at uh, San Francisco, I believe. And he talked back then about a healthcare model here in Winnipeg where you had two big main hospitals, Health Sciences Centre and St. Boniface, that you had them both equipped with helicopter pads, and uh, it would ferry patients from the outskirts of the city and rural areas. And these would be the two hubs and that uh, the community hospitals would be repurposed uh, into more specialized facilities because when you compare Winnipeg to other cities, our healthcare system is inefficient. Well, some 25 years later, the announcement was made today. And everything that um, we'll tell you about, there are many people uh, have been lobbying and lobbying from within the system to have the politicians actually act on this. And for years and years and years, and I guess, you know, you guys know enough that when we talk politics at times, there's inaction. Uh, It's a matter of you talk to the politicians and they just decide, well, we're going to move one pile here only a few years later to move the pile back. Well, this is one of those days where they're moving the pile in a big way. And that if you've ever been to an emergency room or if you go to a hospital in this city, it's going to change. If you work for one of the hospitals, it's going to change. If um, you uh, are involved like I am and so many other people in the sandwich generation dealing with an older parent, it's going to change. And like I said, this is the first of many moves that we're going to see and hear about in healthcare. And today, the big news, the big headline is the closure within the next six to 24 months of emergency rooms, the repurposing of hospitals. And that's going to get the big picture headline today, Brett. The fact that, you know, you folks were over um, at MPI over in Transcona. Well, let's say you cut yourself or you have a minor ailment. You won't even be able to go for emergency or urgent care treatment at the Concordia Hospital when this is all completed because there will not be that type of presence there. You'll have to come into a different part of the city. So it's going to be 
tremendous change for anybody that uses or is employed by health services in this city. I think a lot of people are going to have a hard time wrapping their head around the idea. And this already happens for cardiac care, but now it'll happen for almost everything. The idea of being loaded into a hospital from your home and passing one or maybe two other hospitals on your way to an emergency room. And part of the key here is the understanding of it. So let's say you have that suspected uh, heart attack or stroke. It's a heart attack. You're loaded into an ambulance. You're di- you have the, the uh, an ambulance. You have an emergency room on wheels that arrives at your house that helps stabilize you. And right now, you're not going to go to one of those community hospitals. If you need a stent, you're going to go to the second floor of St. Boniface General Hospital, and you'll be on that operating table within 45 minutes most of the time. Your your tertiary care, it begins right in your home or wherever this cardiac event may be taking place. But the big change here is people um, waiting to go see their doctor, being able to get into their doctor, showing up at the wrong emergency room, uh, knowing when to go to an urgent care center. So hand-in-hand hand with this is going to be a massive public uh, communication uh, plan. But maybe we should get to the news in, in this sense. Health Sciences Centre and uh, St. Boniface Hospital generally stay the same. In this plan, the Grace Hospital becomes the third acute care facility. But major changes to Concordia, Victoria, and Seven Oaks. Seven Oaks will have an urgent care center, and we could talk about that at some point. Lori Lamont from the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority will join us later in the hour. But um, they're going to be specializing in certain areas, especially when you're dealing with the elderly. And uh, the elderly need specialized care. Again, this has been on the books for Seven Oaks Hospital for many years, but now they're actually going ahead and doing it. So it becomes a facility where uh, you're going to see complex continuing care you're going to see an elder transition center rehabilitation center goes hand in hand with the wellness center that they have at seven oaks uh, hospital and again an urgent care system there the misericordia health center interestingly enough and i think uh, when you're on with jeff you were shocked about that because that's going to change that's going to become a, a community uh, facility it will no longer be that 24 7 urgent care department and it's interesting because it became an urgent care some 20 years ago, because they wanted to actually close the Misericordia down completely. That's an aging plant, and they've put some more money into it. But uh, they're going to repurpose that facility there, and they're finally doing something that they've been wanting to do for quite some time. But they converted into an urgent care center, really to piece off the neighborhood. Um, And who's in that neighborhood? Well, a lot of wealthy people that live on Wellington Crescent. There's a lot of people within that side of the neighborhood that would use um, a healthcare facility more often. So I'm a little surprised at that, but it makes sense as to why they would do that. Um, in my side of things out in the Victoria uh, Hospital, the emergency room there will close. It'll become a 24-7 urgent care. They're going to specialize there in inpatient mental health. I know a little bit about the mental health system, as you guys know, um, and I... Uh, that facility there when it comes to mental health is is A1. There's room there. So they're going to do some different things at the Victoria Hospital there as well. And they're also making changes um, at uh, Concordia Hospital. Again, no ER, no urgent care, but there's going to be a lot more orthopedic surgery done there. There's going to be more elderly services there as well. So major changes. Obviously, if you work in the healthcare system, You've been notified this morning. Your unions have been notified. 
Um, there's going to be major changes there. And for the public, for us consumers who use the healthcare system, there's going to be a lot of changes as well. Um, but if you show up, you're still going to get care. But the reason why they're doing this is that, um, and we've got Dr. Brock Wright who spoke this morning, and he was very passionate about it because here is um, one of the senior people at the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority who's been there for a generation that sat around the boardroom table that has wanted to do this for years and years and years. But the political masters have said no because they were afraid of the backlash from the public. And Brock Wright is sitting in this news conference with 15 other people. And then he finally said, listen, listen, folks, you can't just look at Winnipeg as an island. Uh, You have to look at Winnipeg compared to other cities and other provinces. As the chief medical officer for quite a number of years now, I have the privilege of talking to new physicians who come into our community. And it's remarkable to me that, 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 they're, that they're somewhat shocked at the number of acute care hospitals we have in Winnipeg. And many of these physicians are coming from cities that are much, much larger than Winnipeg and yet have fewer acute care hospitals. And that's something I think this system has always had a difficult time understanding. For many, many years there's been a desire in this community to retain all of these acute care hospitals in their current format, be hospitals that can provide all the services possible to their local communities, et cetera, et cetera. But it's simply not a sustainable model. It's not sustainable. And it's not a money issue. The reality is that we will never be able to recruit and retain enough specialists to provide the critical mass of specialists that we would need at six acute care hospitals to have a viable emergency department, critical care, to be able to provide that consultation in a timely enough manner to have efficient flow. Because these specialists don't want to come to Winnipeg just to do emergency work. They want to do scheduled elective work and other kinds of services, and we're only a a city of of so much size, we can only accommodate so many specialists. So the system is not sustainable. And as we discuss this system, and I'm sure in the next uh, weeks and months this will get heavily debated, I I would challenge the media to challenge those who are questioning this model to say, what's the alternative? Now, in terms of um, in, in terms of, of, of where this model helps, why does it why does it make sense to go to three acute care hospitals and then uh, cohort uh, concentrate the less acute patients in three other facilities? Well, first, from a patient care perspective, it's not good care to be mixing up uh, frail elderly patients who are needing convalescence or rehabilitation. It's not appropriate care setting for them to be smack in the middle of an acute care unit in an acute care hospital. So by by, by shifting those longer-stay patients to three facilities that are dedicated to their care, we can provide much better elder-friendly care than we can right now, and we'll be much more successful at transitioning those patients back into the community. And by concentrating the acute care services at three hospitals, we can concentrate all those specialists. Now the emergency departments will have access to specialists very on a very timely basis. They'll have access to 24-7 diagnostics. It'll greatly facilitate the flow of emergency patients. And as Wright says and explains here, right now the system is so thin, we're not doing well on wait times, we're not doing well in providing those services. But there is a leap of faith here. And when you drill down and ask the tougher questions, you get the response that we believe based on the research. So if you're skeptical about this, you have every right to be skeptical. But what we do know is what's happening right now, it ain't working. There is a concrete example of this change working, and that is the cardiac sciences program at St. B, where they've concentrated the specialists, and you've gone from a 
a non-fractured WRHA where hospitals were competing for different specialists, for different doctors, internalists, and now they're all concentrated on one campus. And as you know, Richard, and as I know with an intimate knowledge, it's been very effective as a recruiting tool and in terms of the success rate, not only of surgeries, but emergency care in the cardiac world. It is 117 on 680 CJOB, 204. 780-6868 780-6868 is the number to call. It's the number to text. What are your thoughts? And uh, Dr. Wright had that question in there. What's the alternative? 204-780-6868. Talk or text. You can also email brett at cjob.com or gmac at cjob.com. And guys, by the way, sorry to interrupt, but there's going to be all sorts of reaction to this by organized labor, by the opposition, by everybody. There's going to be concentrated efforts to oppose this plan over the next several months because this is a government, whether you agree or disagree, they're actually doing something about it. 204-780-6868, your thoughts on what is happening with our hospitals in the city of Winnipeg. You can call or text 204-780-6868. Your forecast is coming up next. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling, and we are talking about what is happening with our hospitals, big changes to the emergency room situation, and we have your calls at 204-780-6868. Let's start with Jason. Jason, what are your thoughts? Hey, thanks for taking my call. I'm really happy to hear the government's uh, finally making some changes. Uh, We all know there's a problem in Manitoba with the wait times. I guess my question is, uh, what type of... um, how are, how are they going to be educating the public on this new system? Because we've all attended uh, uh, emergency facility and we've seen people there with common colds or, or stomach aches. How are they going to educate the, um, the population on the proper use of these facilities? Well, and that's a good, great question, Jason, and we thank you for bringing that up. Uh, what we're going to do is after, we're going to be speaking with the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority later this hour, so we will put that question forth on your behalf. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. All right. Sarah, what are your yes, thoughts, Sarah? There. Well, I'm, I'm, t- I'm going to tell you, I am, I am so happy, so happy to hear that they're finally going to do the right thing. And it's amazing that it took so long for somebody to figure this out. Uh, the Seven Oaks should have been closed a long time ago. Vic should have been closed a long time ago. Those were two of the hospitals that really should have been closed. Uh, uh, and I'm going to give you a little example. I'd like to do that uh, so people would have a, uh, maybe a little bit of a better understanding. I went into the VIC, uh, I believe it was either 2014 or 15. I'm not exactly sure. But anyways, uh, I went in with severe chest pains. And I actually drove myself at 3 o'clock in the morning uh, because I was very close to the VIC. And when I got in... Um, they took my blood pressure, was high. When I came in, there was, and this is no word of a lie, there was uh, two people in the waiting room. There was one man that was sitting there waiting actually for a bed that they were actually getting a room ready for him. And there was one other girl that was there, a younger girl. And do you know, I sat there and I went up to them by the sixth hour sixth hour and I said who and I asked who the doctor was that was on the emerge and 
the girl responded and said to me, I'm very sorry, but I'm not exactly sure who it is. Meanwhile, I said, well, what's going on? There's nobody here. Why are we waiting so long? And uh, she responded saying, well, you know what? There, there must be an emergency in the back there. I said, not an emerge. You're not going to have a doctor who's doing any type of surgery for six to seven hours and emerge. That was totally ridiculous. That was- Sarah, thank you so much for the call. We appreciate your feedback. Uh, sorry to hear that it took so long. We have 90 seconds. Danny, what uh, do you have to say? You know, I, I don't believe that closing down some of the other places is the is the answer because I've gone into emergency with people, and you can see that it's well understaffed. It needs better staffing, that, and I think that would be the major answer to the problem instead of closing down places and taxing the the only other uh, two hospitals left on the list. I think it's a big mistake. Well, and that's uh, and that certainly that's going to be part of the argument uh, because we heard that uh, we heard in in Doctor Wright's clip earlier that it's it's not sustainable because they they can't attract enough staff to spread them out over that many facilities. So he's suggesting that it would be easier to concentrate the staff in in fewer facilities. Um, so we're going to have this discussion, and again, the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority will join us in the next half hour. But continue to send your thoughts by text at 204-780-6868. You can also email brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com. Global News at one thirty is up next. One thirty-four on a Friday afternoon. Um, pretty big news day in our part of the world. Uh, sea change in terms of how emergency care will be delivered in our community is on the horizon. I'm Greg Mackling. He's Brett McGarry and Richard Cluche joining us in studio along with Lori Lamont. She's the vice president of and chief, chief nursing officer, pardon me, uh, Ms. Lamont, uh, the WRHA. And we want to thank you so much for taking time out of what is clearly a very busy day to help us understand what the model will be moving forward for ERs and and our, the roles of the different hospitals in our community. Richard, you said that this has been 25 years in the making. Is, is that an exaggeration or does that sound about right, Lori? Thank you very much for the opportunity to be on the show today. And yes, this is something that um, has been looked at and talked about for many years. There have been a number of different versions of of this type of plan, but what we've been able to do to, and announce today is really look at how we can best use our health facilities within the region to deliver care uh, as it needs to be uh, delivered in this day and age. Certainly when general hospitals were built, health services were uh, in acute care were delivered in a very different way than they are today. And so this allows us to move forward to provide meaningful roles for all of the uh, health facilities, but really improve the way we can deliver care. What is it about this day and age that allows us to do this now as opposed to at some point in the past? Well, certainly healthcare today and particularly acute care relies on a great deal of specialization a lot of very high-tech types of equipment and interventions, and also much shorter need for acute care hospital stays. So where people used to stay for two or three weeks, they're often not even being admitted to hospital, but having them done as a day surgery. So it's important to think about um, 
making sure that you can make the best use of, of those highly specialized skills. And what we've struggled with is trying to spread those across six uh, acute care facilities doesn't allow for the, the expertise to be concentrated and to really get the best uh, benefit from those services and to be able to access them in a really timely way. This announcement today is the repurposing of all our healthcare facilities in Winnipeg and the hospitals. And uh, highlighted by what's happening on the emergency room side. But when you look at the three hospitals here, Health Sciences Centre, St. Boniface Hospital, and now the Grace, they are an acute care hospital under this model. What actually goes on at those hospitals? Because we use the term acute care, and I'm not sure everybody understands what we mean by acute care. What will happen at those three hospitals, and then we can talk about the other three. At the three acute care hospitals, people will receive care for the most serious and most life-threatening types of illnesses and injuries. So um, things like uh, trauma services, cardiac surgery, acute medical care, and complex surgery that requires an inpatient stay after the surgery. It really is where the sickest of the sick and those that need um, care by people with specific specialties in areas, that's what really needs to go on within an acute care uh, environment these days. Let's take a look at the city as far as parts of the city. And let's begin with the east side, Concordia General Hospital becomes Concordia Community Hospital. No emergency room there, no urgent care there. When will that ER be wound down? Our plan relies on a number of pieces coming together uh, over the course of the next 6 to 24 months. And one of the key uh, pieces in that is the completion of the construction at the Grace Hospital in order to be able to redistribute some of the ambulance traffic, but also to have an opportunity to make the public more aware of where to go for service and how to start changing some of the traffic patterns. So we see the closure of the Concordia Hospital not happening until later in that The Grace Hospital is scheduled, uh, the emergency department is scheduled to be completed in the spring of next year. That's a year's worth of construction, um, so we need to be um, much more confident about the actual completion and move-in date before we So fall of 2018 at the earliest for the conch? Correct. Now, what will happen at that community hospital as it is repurposed? So we will continue to provide... uh, the surgical interventions for hip replacements, knee replacements at that site. So there will still be some acute care services provided there, but the vast majority of their inpatient service will be provided to generally older adults. There will be some rehabilitation, some convalescent type of care, and also uh, care designed to assist people to transition either from a hospital to a long-term care facility or to a community with home care. Seven Oaks Hospital, the ER there is going to close and become an urgent care centre. What's the schedule on that? Still contingent on Grace? Uh, yes. So the changes in the north, uh, east and northwest part of the city are uh, contemplated to come in the later part of that 24-month time frame and certainly that we need to have the grace uh, capacity up and running in order to shift the volumes there. What will then be done at Seven Seven Oaks Community Hospital? 
So Seven Oaks will continue to have an important role in outpatient renal dialysis. They have a large outpatient uh, service there now. We're going to add a an elective endoscopy, so investigations that look uh, into a person's uh, digestive system. Um, we will have a standalone uh, elective clinic there, which will help to ensure that people get those tests in a more timely way. And um, so that will be a new addition. They do a they do a small amount of that service now, so we'll build on that, but create a much larger um, service there. And then uh, their inpatient beds, they have already uh, a significant activity in geriatric rehab. We'll build on that and continue to look at rehab services and some of that convalescent and transitional care. Victoria General Hospital becomes a community hospital. Same thing there. ER converted into an urgent care. What's the timeline on that? That one we're anticipating will happen in, in phase one. Um, and that will be sometime in the in the fall, early fall of, of 2017. 2017, so this year, so within the next eight months. That's our plan, yes. All right. What will also happen at Victoria Community Hospital? So we will um, be shifting some of the acute services out of Victoria Hospital, and we will also... Uh, start to move mental health service to uh, consolidate mental health services at that site. So mental health services at Seven Oaks and Grace Hospital will move uh, to the Victoria General Hospital and we will be able to offer um, better service to those people who have acute needs for mental health services. What happens when, and you've, previous governments spent a lot of money on new emergency room, emergency bays, ambulance bays, etc., Ambulance will, will, ambulances will no longer at some point be going then to Victoria, Seven Oaks, and you can't arrive at Concordia at all. Ambulances won't be going there, will they? And we will still have some ambulances okay. going to the urgent care centers. We have some ambulances that go to Misericordia that are, that are directed to Misericordia. So in our work with um, the fire paramedic service here in Winnipeg, we're fortunate to be able to work collect. Uh, collaboratively with them to develop protocols so that uh, not everyone who takes an ambulance actually needs uh, an admission to hospital. And so we're able to um, create streams where it is possible for some of the ambulances to be directed to those urgent care centers. And Misericordia, why is it no longer going to be an urgent care center? We wanted to look at how we distributed services across the city. So the three acute care emergency uh, hospitals will be located on sort of the east to west axis of the city. And then locating an urgent care center in the north and in the south, we felt gave us the best geographic distribution. When we looked at the urgent care center at Misericordia, it is operating right now pretty close to where it is in terms of maximum for um, the number of visits that they can see. But we also know that um, people from all over the city go to Misericordia. So it isn't necessarily just in that neighborhood. We see people uh, whose addresses are from across the city. So there was the opportunity to move some of that service elsewhere. We also have a significant need to increase our community IV therapy services so that we can shift um, people who are well enough to go home but need some ongoing intravenous therapy to our community clinics. 
We've outgrown the one that is in downtown Winnipeg. And so this allows us to expand that in a, again in a very central location. Laura Lamont is our guest. She is the Chief Nursing Officer at the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority, also the Vice President of Interprofessional Practice. We are talking about how three of Winnipeg's hospitals will no longer have emergency rooms, and we will continue our conversation with Lori Lamont after your forecast, which is up next. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling. Richard Cloutier is here as well. And our guest in studio is Lori Lamont, who is the Chief Nursing Officer for the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority. And we are talking about how three of Winnipeg's hospitals will no longer have emergency rooms, big changes. Seven Oaks, Victoria, and Concordia hospitals are closing their emergency rooms. And we had a couple of uh, questions from listeners, Lori. One of them was, how is the public going to be educated on this? Jason referred to people who currently go to ERs with uh, colds or stomach aches. So what is the education campaign going? How is that going to look? We certainly recognize that this is a large change in our health system, and it's really important that we communicate uh, those changes now and as they begin to happen with the people uh, in Winnipeg. So we will be providing information to people uh, both in their mailboxes and through uh, web, uh, web-based web information and other um, you know, print media, those kinds of things around what the plan is. But then more specifically, as we start to make the changes in affecting specific hospitals, we will be really trying to target people living in those neighborhoods, people who we know already use those services to inform them of when the actual change is going to take place, what the alternatives are for them in terms of seeking care in another location. In terms of the move to urgent care, we've seen Winnipeggers really uh, understand what kinds of things they should go to urgent care for. We have very few people who present to urgent care today who should have gone to an emergency department. However, we do know that that may happen or something may change in a person's condition as they're arriving. So we again have strong protocols in place with Winnipeg Fire and Paramedic to make sure that those people who uh, whose condition changes or is more serious than can be managed in an urgent care can be moved to the appropriate emergency department very quickly. All, oh, sorry, go ahead. Brett. I was just going to bring up a concern that Danny, another one of our listeners yeah. made, she said that she doesn't think closing ERs is the solution, but it's better staffing. So I think that question might be on a lot of people's minds trying to figure out how does closing ERs reduce wait times? The emergency department needs to be supported 24-7 by uh, the kinds of diagnostic testing, specialty services, and access to the types of acute inpatient beds in order for it to function. Our staff work incredibly hard in our emergency departments to see people and provide care to them as quickly as possible. It just becomes very, very difficult when they have uh, delays or waits when services either aren't available in that hospital or aren't available um, for that period of time, so overnight access, those kinds of things. So simply having more physicians and nurses at a at a, an emergency department doesn't change the access to some of those needed services. People could ask why we don't uh, spread those services across the six uh, facilities, and that's what we've tried to do, and it hasn't improved our system. 
uh, we need to really concentrate those specialists and that very expensive uh, diagnostic and other types of services so that we can provide the best service possible. This plan, we expect, will help people to understand where they should go for care and where, where they would expect to receive the kind of care that, that they need when they need it. We just got a comment at 7806868 from someone that works inside the system. Greg and Brett, this is great news. I work in the system. Revamping of the health system was long needed. And I think a, to a person, I think we all agree that what we're doing isn't working. This is a very bold step. I commend the powers that be for taking this bold step. What about the facilities at HSC, at St. Boniface? We know there's going to be a new ER at Grace Hospital. Are those two facilities going to be expanded, improved? What are the, what's the vision for St. B and HSC in terms of their emergency rooms? So by, based on the modeling we've done of the uh, existing services and the existing um, physical space at the three emergency departments and the uh, two urgent care centers, we will make a modest investment in increasing um, the size of both Health Science Centre and St. Boniface emergencies, primarily for those lower uh, acuity kinds of patients, uh, so that we will see them quickly uh, at the triage and, and stream them off to minor treatment areas, those kinds of things, which we can redevelop in space adjacent to the existing emergency departments. Something that's been done very successfully at Children's Hospital. Uh, I've experienced it a few times myself, and it's a model that doesn't really exist anywhere else, and I think it's a, an outstanding uh, comparison thing to do. If you work at any of these hospitals, will there be job losses? We still have a lot of work to do in terms of the actual staff schedules and the uh, you know uh, models that we will put in place for all of our healthcare providers, uh, physicians, nurses, other healthcare professionals. Based on the analysis we've been able to do at at this level, um, between our vacant currently vacant positions and and some other uh, changes that we know are are in the works. We anticipate that the vast majority of staff will continue to have positions. It will mean in many cases they need to go to a different location, um, but we will be working closely with uh, the unions to work on mitigating any job losses. as and much as possible. And that's why you have the mobility agreements. That's why the labor legislation is being introduced to reduce the number of contracts. The premier and ultimately the provincial government signed off on this. But the Premier said that if you work in healthcare, frontline services will not be effective. Does these changes, do these changes introduced today affect frontline services in any way whatsoever? We believe the things announced today will actually improve the frontline services that we're able to deliver. It will make it easier for our staff to do the kind of work that they need to do. And as I said, we don't anticipate any significant job loss. We only have about 60 seconds left. I just want to quickly bounce this off of you. This is another text from somebody who says, look, I know we have more uh, ERs than the norm, but we Winnipeg serves a lot of rural communities. What's your reaction to that thought? Most major urban centers do provide service to the surrounding communities in which, you know, in the provinces where they're located. Our plan is based on who currently uses our system, which includes the province of Manitoba, a part of northwestern Ontario, and a small piece of Nunavut who come to us for service. So as we looked at making the changes, we anticipated that we would continue to provide service to those uh, people as well as those who reside directly in the city of Winnipeg. 
Lori Lamont is the chief nursing officer for the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority, also the vice president of interprofessional practice. Thank you for joining us today and answering some of our questions and some of our listeners' questions as well. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Richard Cloutier as well. Thank you very much, sir. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Global News at 2 o'clock. Up next. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling. At some point this afternoon, we're going to tell you about a little visit we paid to Manitoba Public Insurance in Transcona today uh, to... We took uh, some virtual reality for a spin, a new program called Driver X, and it shows showcases the dangers of distracted driving in quite a visceral way. So I want to tell you about that at some point this afternoon. Uh, but Greg, yesterday we talked to Brian and Sarah Baumler from That's HGTV. Right. I know you were you were super excited about that. An absolute thrill to speak to them. I. I welcome them into my home several times a week. Yeah. So it was great to converse with them about uh, things that I was able to ask them and you were able to ask them and things we were able to discuss with them on your behalf listening at home. So that was uh, absolutely a thrill. They're in town for the Winnipeg Home and Garden Show on the main stage this evening at 6 o'clock at the Convention Centre, tomorrow at 1 p.m. Today... We're talking to another Brian and Sarah pair from what? HGTV. They star in a new show that just debuted last night. Brian's kind of like my brother from another mother. Ah! Introducing Sarah Keenleyside and Brian McCord. Today's the day! HGTV's newest dream team. First impression? Wow. Their specialty, looking outside. Oh, I would love a space, and I think the shed could work. For the things you dream of inside. They'll bring your inner space out. Backyard Builds, new series April 6th on HGTV. Ah, Backyard Builds is the show. It debuted last night with two episodes, but they replay tonight at 6 and 6.30 and throughout the weekend on HGTV. So you have plenty of opportunity to catch up on this brand new show. Their names are Brian McCourt, he's a contractor, and Sarah Keenleyside, a designer. Can we start by talking about the popularity of outdoor spaces and how backyards all across the country have become such an an extension of our of our homes and we spend so much time outside. Is this a new phenomenon in your mind? It is relatively new, which is shocking because because there's so many so much space in your yard, you know, and it's untapped. Yeah, and we're finding that clients especially are asking us now more than ever to work on the backyards because of the raising house prices across the country that people can't afford to have a getaway in another, you know, maybe like a cottage or a camp or something like that. And the houses they can't afford are smaller. Yeah, so (laughs) it's all about investing in your backyard and creating almost like an urban oasis. So using the backyard in this way where you're sort of doing it in a non-traditional kind of way, is this a new trend? I mean, people have definitely used their backyards before, but it's, it's, an uncommon thing. So we're trying to inspire people to make it a more common thing. Yeah, what we're doing on our show is really blowing the kind of the the typical backyard idea of like renovating a backyard. We're really blowing that out of the water and doing these specific builds that are tailored to the homeowner's needs. Yeah, if you if you caught it last night, we did um a shipping container um for as a home office and we retrofitted um uh, a shipping container, like a used shipping container. Yeah, and ran electrical to it, insulated it. It's a four-season workspace. workspace. Yeah. Um, so it really, like, this is something that is not Toronto-centric. It's not Ontario-centric. It goes across the country. And you can use your backyard year-round in every season when you build these four-season workspaces. So it's really changing the way people see their backyards. 
Three-season sunrooms have been a big deal in this part of the world for a long time. My grandpa had a veranda on both the houses he ever lived in. Screened-in porches are a big deal because, hey, mosquitoes are a big deal in this part of the world. Have you got some advice for those of us on the prairies and in the Red River Valley that deal with mosquitoes in the evening, just our prime enjoyment time for our backyards? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost, get away from the house. Like, it doesn't have to be an extension of the house anymore. It can be a full separate building in the backyard. And instead of going to just a, a, a typical gazebo, take it up a notch. Like, what do you and your family want to use your backyard? What are your interests? I mean, we've done um, we've done outdoor movie, movie theater, theaters, cool. like an amphitheater. Like you could you could do a screened-in porch that's got a pull-down screen, you know, a big boho chic floor pillows, all that kind of stuff. Um, um, that was a good point. Um, just that it doesn't have to be attached to the house because everyone, when they expand the living space, they always think to do an an extension onto the house. But we don't do that. We haven't done that on any episode. We've like retrofit sheds. We did a she shed yeah. where they can bake and um, decorate her cupcakes. Yeah. Things. Man caves are totally a thing of the past. It's all about the she shed. <laughs> Girl power over here. <laughs> so this idea then for backyard builds, is this something you two were doing before the show or did the show give you the opportunity to come up with this new idea? Really? The, the, the HGTV got in touch with us and, and said, you know, like, what, what kind of, what, what are you passionate about these days? And I work as an interior designer. I have my own firm and Brian's got his own construction build renovation company. So when we put our heads together, we were thinking like, you know, we don't want to do another renovated kitchen show. We want to do something that's sort of like, what's new, what's fresh. It's the tiny home movement. It's getting outside as Canadians were cooped up for half the year. We want to be outside and also like just, you know, selfishly, we love the idea of shooting outside yeah, all summer. Totally. So, yeah, we kind of... We, we, we wanted to help people expand their living space, but not in the traditional ways. Yeah, and we thought that this was really like an untapped way of field. addressing that. Untapped field, a good one. Oh, oh. didn't even mean to. <laughs> she keeps my corniness in check. <laughs> so, you know, you mentioned this whole idea of making better use of your entire property. And, of course, here in Winnipeg, we, we look at the escalating and skyrocketing real estate uh, prices out in Toronto. We've seen it in Vancouver and it's happening here as well. And so you guys made a really good point about that idea. This is cottage country. Like in Winnipeg, if you don't have a pool or a cottage or an RV, uh, you know, you're, you're working really hard. And so the idea of having that getaway space, uh, that's 10 steps or 20 steps outside the patio doors is an outstanding idea. Brian, or Brian, I want to ask you about how you started the story about how you started doing renovations and interest in, in redesigning You did a kind of a surprise makeover for your mom and dad. Is that right? Oh, so you're going way back. Um, yeah, when I was 14 years old, um, my parents went out for uh, the weekend, and I decided I was going to surprise them and make over a room. And this is back before, like, all these shows were on TV, and that was a regular thing. Um, and I kind of took pieces of furniture from different areas of the house, painted the room, and uh, they came back, and they were so shocked at how good it looked. They were like, do you want to do the rest of the house? <laughs> So, like, over my uh, high school career, per se, um, I just kind of kept going with that and and did the entire house. And then when I moved out at 19, I knew I wanted to flip a home. And I didn't have the financial means. So I approached friends and family for a small investment. And um, I, like, dove in and kind of just taught myself 
And uh, <laughs> it all worked out for me. I mean, I'm here now, and it's awesome. And Sarah, I guess, uh, same question. How did you get into doing this stuff? Well, I studied uh, environmental design at uh, OCAD U in Toronto. And uh, I, it's funny, I, I thought I wanted to be a travel photographer when I was younger. But really, when I look back now, I think of the times that I would, you know, go over to my friend's house and we play with dolls. But then I would end up spending the entire time designing a home for the dolls with all the furniture pieces around. So it's kind of, it's something that's always been in me. I have a fine art background, but I think I'm, I, I was too practical to become an artist. So I translated that into the design world and eventually brought it into the interiors. And now I'm taking it outside. <laughs> we are speaking with the backyard builders, Sarah Keenleyside and Brian Harcourt, a designer and contractor. Their new show, Backyard Builders, debuted last night on HGTV. It replays again this evening starting at 6, and we will continue our conversation with them after your forecast, which is up next. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling. After Global News at 2.30, Dr. Cyrus is here, psychologist with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen and Associates, and we're going to talk about the soundtrack of our lives. Why does music have such a profound effect and ability to transport us back in time in an instant? Well, so we'll have that chat after 2.30. Right now, we're speaking with the Backyard Builders, Sarah Keenley-Side and Brian Harcourt. They're a designer and contractor. Their brand-new show, Backyard Builders, debuted last night on HGTV, and it replays again this evening starting at 6.00. So for you both, because I know you both spent a little bit of time over in Asia. Uh, Brian, if I'm not mistaken, you, you taught English in South Korea. And Sarah, yeah. I think you spent some time in China. And yeah. those people traditionally live in much smaller homes than we do. Lots of apartments. And so the neighborhood and the amenities within a neighborhood become an extension of the home. Talk about how people elsewhere are living and are we starting to incorporate that in some of our more livable neighborhoods extended outside of our back and front yard, if you wouldn't mind? Yeah, well, I think with the densification of urban centers now, that's really happening. And that does happen across the world, right? Like when I lived in China for a year where I taught English and I lived in the tiniest little apartment and it was all about the local grocer and the local meat market and um, and that's the same as where I live uh, currently in Toronto. I live in an area called Roncesvalles, and it's it's all about just walking to your amenities. Um, it, it's it's the the tightness of space, right? And and that's what we're that's what we're sort of addressing in in our show is that um, you know we've worked on post postage stamps of a backyard, but done the most amazing renovations where we sort of are able to tap in to so much more space than people thought that they even had. And um, our builds always consist of more than one thing. So we usually have like a major build and then we'll do decks and landscaping. And, you know, on one we did on the she shed, we did a little soccer field for their kids that were really into soccer out of artificial turf. So there was kind of, and also a deck in there too. Like yeah. We really, we really maximize every inch and um, the zones are important to us to show people that it doesn't have to be one thing. So this television show, is it giving you an opportunity to, to do things then that you wouldn't maybe normally do, like uh, Treehouse Village, uh, for example? That sounds super fun, but it also sounds like something you might only see on television. So is that right. something you would do in a just a normal, non-TV renovation? Well, for, I'll speak for myself here. As, as an interior designer, um, 
no, it is not the kind of regular thing that I would usually do. And that's what I love so much about teaming up with Brian on this show is, you know, I, I've been designing for 10 years now and I, I can always create a new kitchen and it'll be something fresh and new, but you can't always invent a treehouse village. So that, that's the coolest thing is every single client that we work with on this show has a completely different ask. And it's always something that we've never done before. Yeah, it's a, a huge process of problem solving, learning, research, creativity. figuring it out. Yeah. yeah, so we really rely on each other a lot through the process. And we're a really strong team. Like we're not the... We're not the average kind of bickering yeah. like duo on TV where we really lean on each other. And that's how we get through these like such different builds. Yeah, we sort of made that pact before we even started shooting. We said, can we not be bickery? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because that's not who we are in real life. And we just we want to be ourselves and we're a team and we, we problem solve together. And it's all about the finished product for the client in the end. Yeah. So are you getting called the other Brian and Sarah? <laughs> We've been called out a couple times yeah, today. Yes. The new Brian. And yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. I mean, I, I wasn't willing to change my name. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, they they just have a thing for Brian and Sarah. Basically, if you're a duo and your name is Brian and Sarah, you get a show. You get an HGTV you show. Get a show. You get an HGTV show. <laughs> <laughs> but um, after you see the show, you'll you'll realize how different we are from Brian and Sarah. And there's, I think, there's plenty of room for both of us. Yeah. So the uh, last night it debuted with the, I believe it was the, you said the shipping con- containers and the Trios Village, and it's replaying yes. this evening at uh, six o'clock Winnipeg time. What else do you have coming up this season? Ooh, can we give it away? We can give it away. Yeah, yeah we can give a little taster. We have yeah. an outdoor bar that we're going to be doing. Oh yeah, yeah, a really cool sports bar. Sarah makes some stools out of recycled kegs. Yeah, that's another thing is we always have at least one DIY project to do it yourself that that viewers at home can, can take totally take on. It's not you don't need to be a designer or a contractor to pull it off. Yeah. Um, and then the amphitheater one the, uh, yeah. episode is like really, really cool. It's not something you see every day. Yeah. And it's these people that live in such a close knit community with like, you know, like a hundred kids they yeah. on their street. Yeah. So we built them uh amphitheater style outdoor movie theater and they can actually have every one of those hundred kids come and watch a movie. At yeah. It was, it was pretty epic. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I have enough problem with dealing with two kids. They can have the entire neighborhood in their backyard. Yeah. Literally, and you'll see at the end, yeah. we, they have everyone over. It was a big backyard, but a little toot-toot for space planning. Yeah. Totally, yeah. <laughs> well, you guys, it sounds like a very exciting program. I've seen some of the preview episodes, and this will be a, an outstanding addition. Backyard right. Builds on HGTV with the new Brian and Sarah joining <laughs> us on Mackling and McGarry. It's, Thanks uh, so much, you guys. It's, it's Thursdays at 10 p.m. on HGTV Canada, and if you miss it, you can check it out on hgtv.ca. And just to clarify, that is 10 Eastern, so 9 o'clock our time. And once again, if you missed the debut last night, that's okay, because the two episodes replay tonight at 6 and 6.30, and they're going to play throughout the weekend. Just check your listings for HGTV. Backyard Builders, hosted by the new Brian and Sarah, Brian Harcourt, who is a contractor, and Sarah Keenleyside, who is a designer, and a reminder that the other Brian and Sarah, the Bomblers, are at the convention center this weekend for the Winnipeg Home and Garden Show, presenting All is Fair in Love and Renos on the main stage tonight at 6 and tomorrow afternoon at 1. It's kind of cool how people are living outside and using 
those spaces outside the four walls and the roof of their home, outdoor kitchens. We didn't get around to discussing those with Brian and Sarah. Fire pits are becoming popular. And this this whole idea, as much as it would be nice to have a cottage or a weekend getaway, for some people it's not practical. Mm. The time involved now is, you know, let's be honest, we're busier than we've ever been. Yeah. And if you have the luxury to go and spend a couple of days up at the cottage, bless you. I think it's fantastic. But I've been trying to sell Jackie on the idea of, you know, building our resort in our backyard, our cottage in our backyard. And in a way we can enjoy it. If we happen to have a free Wednesday night, we can enjoy it for two or three hours Wednesday night. And when Friday comes around, you don't have to get in the car, load up the kids, load up the groceries. We have a fridge. We have a grocery store just around the corner. Go upstairs, switch into the flip-flops and your bathing suit and walk out your back door and boom, you're at the cottage. You can sleep in your own bed. Two homes. We have a hard enough time cleaning one. Never mind having a second place to clean. So I can't tell uh, you, you how making many times. use of the backyard is a great idea. I can't tell you how many times. There's uh, one friend of mine in particular. He has a cottage in Winnipeg Beach and uh, I've said, hey, busy Sunday. Want to go golfing? Sorry, I got to go cut the grass at my cabin. Got to go to the cottage and work at the... Got to do some work every week. And I would also wonder if you have a cottage, if you would almost feel like, like guilty if you didn't go out to it every weekend, right? Like, oh, I well, I got the cottage. I got to take advantage of mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. But does it become a commitment or an obligation as opposed to uh, a vacation, so to speak? Well, I think we have an idea for one of our one o'clock talkers, as we call it, <laughs> for next week as we get close to cottage season because a lot of people – Take advantage of the Easter long weekend to go up and get things started, get things rolling up at the cottage. So we'll have to talk about that. Is it more of a hindrance than it is a relaxation point for you having a getaway, a cottage, a trailer, a camp, whatever you might call it. 227 on 680 CJOB. Dr. Cyrus joins us after Global News at 2.30. I'm Brett McGarry. He is Greg Mackling. And we are about to welcome Dr. Cyrus into the studio, and we want to talk to him about music being the soundtrack of our lives. And the reason why we want to have this chat is last week, Kyle Milroy put together a marvelous production feature teeing up WrestleMania, which was coming up last weekend. And it ended with Hulk Hogan's theme music. Fight for what's right. Fight for your life. Super cheesy, I know. <laughs> oh, you realize that? Super cheesy. Okay, good. I'm glad you realized that. But every time I hear this music, it brings me back to the mid-1980s and the various times he's come back throughout his career. And it just makes me feel like a little kid again. Who's does it super pump you up? Does it, it pump you up? It does. It makes me want to unleash Hulkamania. I was a Hulkamaniac, and it just makes me smile and... Excited and I don't know. is running wild in Winnipeg town. <laughs> That's right. I'm coming to see ya. What you gonna do, brother? <laughs> I love it. So, Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is here uh, to talk about this with us. And I guess, the, what is the early the, the question to start this? Why does music have the ability to immediately transport us back to a certain time in our life? Well, I think that. <laughs> I think that um, music is something a little bit like fragrance or uh, something like that where it's associated, you can associate it with a time and a place 
And it's just, but I mean, you can do this with just about anything. Like if you see a certain object or a person, or even if you experience a certain emotion, it can bring you, it, it's associated with a memory, with a time in your life. And um, just there, they can be powerfully connected with our, with our memories. Our, our brain is made up of associations. And uh, so like, for example, I remember studying for exams when I was in university and I would play, uh, you know, one or two songs. And uh, then when I was at the exam, if I was having trouble remembering an answer, I'd just start humming along to that music and sometimes it would come to me. And uh, so you, you want to create associations and, and they just happen naturally. And I think a lot of us have experienced kind of nostalgia when, you know, we have a certain, you uh, have a certain experience and all of a sudden you're transported back to a, to a different time. And music is just one of the powerful ways that that can happen. You know, clearly musicals in terms of theater have figured this out, that Mm -hmm. music evokes a certain emotion from us. It can get Mm -hmm. us excited. It can tell a story in a different way, in a very emphatic way. And in movies, the soundtrack sometimes is the best thing about the movie, (laughs) but it also makes it very clear the idea that music is, can you know, we say that a picture is worth a thousand words. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a song is worth millions of words and the <laughs> emotions that it's a, it's able to evoke and to bring out of you and to stir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, uh, you know, every culture has its own, uh, you know, music that, that goes along with it. So if you listen to another culture's music, it can be quite jarring, but to them it has that same experience. So it's very, it's often very uh, subjective, but yeah, it's tied with identity and, the other thing that, that maybe kind of is important to talk about with this is how um, music can understand us and uh, or we can feel understood through music. So, for example, if um, I'm, I often use music as an example on how to explain empathy, uh, like if you have music and can empathize with you. Um, so if you're sad, oftentimes people will start listening to sad music if they're uh, wanting to be excited or if they are excited, they'll listen to excited music and they can feel kind of understood. Uh, and I think sometimes uh, you can have a certain type of music that kind of understands your personality and kind of represents who you are. And I think we all want to be understood and music has, an, has another way to do that. You mentioned sad music, when you, listening to sad music when you are sad. Um that can actually help you feel better, can't it? Yes, it's not necessary to always override your feelings. Uh, although sometimes, uh, you know, getting distracted and, and having somebody take you into a different place can be helpful. Uh, it's also important to uh, understand your feelings and, and experience them. They're there for a reason. And uh, music can, uh, again, be one of those things that helps you to understand if I have clients who have difficulty uh, communicating with me for uh, you know various reasons, sometimes adolescence, uh, sometimes using music can be a way to understand who they are. I'll ask them what they what they like and pull up uh, YouTube or something like that and and play the soundtrack or the you know whatever they want to listen to and and uh, oftentimes you know it leads into a conversation about who they are or what they're feeling. And, you know, what, what is it that's attractive about this music? What's going on for you when you listen to it and stuff like that? How about a national anthem? <laughs> I 
love the Russian national anthem. And I don't care if you're Russian, Canadian, American. <laughs> when you hear that national anthem, it is stirring. It, mm-hmm. uh, you don't even know what the words are. <laughs> and you know they're singing something, and it's something pretty powerful. But the music sets a tone. It, it, it almost paints this audio picture of the Soviet Union and Russia. And it, it's, it's haunting. There's, there's just something powerful about it. Well, I mean, you can imagine if people were going into war or in, like into some kind of battle, if they were listening to their national anthem as they went went into that battle, you know, what it would be like for the rest of their life as a veteran when they hear that song. Um, and, and even just for for anybody who's kind of grown up with the, uh, you know, in a certain country or whatever, it's it's a way, again, of identifying with something greater than yourself. And I think that... That is a way of reducing anxiety. I mean, even just thinking, going back to the war thing, like if you're willing to go and die uh, for something that is hard to understand, uh, like a country, like it's it's a piece of land, but it's more than that. And how do you represent that? Well, maybe you just play a song, but you're willing to die for it. And um, again, it's something greater than yourself. And uh, we're we're kind of like this kind of goes into the realm of symbols, like we're symbolic creatures, and and um, it's something that kind of goes into a deeper part of our brain. I think. What is actually happening in our brain or in our body when we get that kind of tingly feeling when we hear a song that <laughs> that stirs our soul? Whether it's a an old song like uh, from your childhood, or just as the example that Greg provided with the the Russian national anthem, what is actually happening? Can you talk about that at all? Well, I think it depends on what that song, uh, you know, what that song was associated with. I think this is where there can be a stability that's found in something like a national anthem. Like even when my life is going up and down and not making sense, uh, that song brings me to a certain feeling or identity that's consistent. And again, it's kind of got that stability or long, it's going to survive me. It was here before me, it's going to be here after me. So when you think about that tingly feeling, it's associated with with certain feelings, with certain emotions. And I mean, there are certain, uh, you know, certain resonances, I think, that can be created through certain tones. But uh, I mean, the main thing that happens when you're, when you're listening to these, you know, pieces is associations with certain emotions and things that are greater than yourself. And, and that's often what creates that, uh, that stability in yourself, uh, reaching a place in yourself that you can't get to necessarily just thinking about yourself or your life. Uh, you know, there's nothing really more powerful than being in church. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what faith you're of. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if all faiths mm-hmm. have music as part of their services, but the mm-hmm. ones that do, it can be very stirring. Mm-hmm. It gives you an opportunity for reflection, to be louder and prouder for mm. a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, about their faith. But what about, I'm looking here at uh, Roll Jordan Roll. This was on a part of the soundtrack of 12 Years a Slave. When I woke the devil in hell, said Johnny baptized me. I say roll, Jordan, roll. Roll, roll. My soul arises ever, Lord, for the year on the road. Well, some say John was a Baptist. Some say John was a Jew. But I say John 
Obviously a song of faith mm. in a time that would be unimaginable for almost all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, you know, we create meaning, uh, whether we uh, were evolved to create meaning or created to create meaning, we do. We create meaning out of symbols, and music is a symbol. It's a symbol of a time or of a... It represents something. Uh, and we... Uh, I think that we all... We, we often have anxiety and, uh, and stress. And when people experience... You know, research would suggest that when people experience greater stress, they become more attached to symbols. We, uh, we are driven to them, and uh, they comfort us. So if you were just talking about uh, death or something like that, you would be more disturbed if you were to see, let's say, a, a crucifix being destroyed than if you had been kind of having a good day. So we get more attached, we get more disturbed, um, by, you know, we get more attached to symbols when we're anxious because they stabilize us. It's the same thing kind of, you know, we, I think we had a few sessions ago where, where we talked about tattoos and things. We, we put them on our body. We, you know, they represent who we are. And, um, and it's amazing how much it can affect us. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is a psychologist with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen and Associates. His website, drcyrus.com. We're talking about music and the, the powerful effect it has on us and the, the, becomes the soundtrack of our lives. And when we continue our conversation, I want to ask Dr. Cyrus, because we've been talking about how music makes us feel good, what about songs that are linked to bad parts of your life, bad experiences of your life. We'll get into that after your forecast, which is up next. Dr. Cyrus Dirksen is here. The website, drcyrus.com. He's with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen and Associates, a psychologist. And we're talking about music, the profound effect it has on our lives. This was triggered by just a chat I had with Greg after Kyle Milroy's WrestleMania feature last week, which ended with Hulk Hogan's music. And I just mentioned that doesn't matter where I am, that music always stirs my soul because... It brings you back to when I was a kid and was a massive fan of the Hulkster. And so we've been talking about so far how music has, uh, it brings back good feelings. But Dr. Cyrus, what about music that is linked to to bad experiences? Why can that have such, that can make you feel, for me, I know that if I hear a song that I kind of associate with a bad time in my life, it brings me right back to that moment and makes me feel crappy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, I mean, like, it goes back to that same kind of association. I think, uh, I mean, they can use music to drive people out of buildings. I mean, you just blast something at a building, and, and I mean, it can just be so discorded, like, discorded that it can, you know, drive a person, uh, you know, to a poor mental state. I think what you're talking about is kind of that emotional association that can happen so often with uh, you know, with music, and it can bring us to sad places. Again, when we're traumatized, we just generally don't want to go back to that place. And when we uh, have anything that brings us back to that, um, any kind of trigger, uh, we generally avoid it and, uh, and and run away from it. Sometimes, you know, it's good to actually go back and face those things. Um, but the general way that we manage that is just to drive around the mountain and, and and, uh, you know, do something else. That's that was sure. going to actually be my follow-up question. Is, okay. is it a bad thing to to turn on? Like if a song comes on the radio and it bring, mm. reminds me of that, should I, should I be running away from that? You know, this is, a, this is one of those things that is actually a little bit tricky because, you know, the general uh, treatment for anxiety is to face your fear. 
And so and it, trauma is generally an anxious kind of issue. So oftentimes it is good to face our fears and to face those triggers. Uh, that being said, there are times when um, it can be, uh, you know, you just get a better outcome by finding another way. And uh, so, for example, if somebody was uh, had their career as uh, and their career is now completely associated with trauma. So, for example, if you're a you know a mountaineer or something like this, and you climb rocks for a building or for you climb rocks for a living, uh, you know, as some celebrity mountain climber or something like this, and you know you somebody falls off the mountain with you and now you, you know, you can't face that. It might be a good idea to go and sit with a mountain for a while and, and, you know, face your fear, but it might be easier to find another job too, you know? So there, there's kind of a, I find it's not quite so simple as just to say, yeah, you got to tackle it and, and, and overcome. Uh, and it's not so simple just to say, you got to run away from these things and find some other other way of doing things. I think that there might be middle ground or sometimes one or sometimes the other. Can we go away from the dark places now? Yeah. Because <laughs> whenever I hear Stairway to Heaven, I remember the first time I danced to it. I remember who I was dancing with. And there's another song. I mean, there's I, I could play two dozen songs, but here's one uh, from the Bee Gees. Oh, I got to turn this on here. Like, this takes me to my aunt's living room in 1975. My brother used to sing or lip sync this song as part of post-dinner entertainment. And I can smell the pot roast. I can taste the canned peas. I can taste the butter. I can remember the emotions of the of everyone involved in the living room and sitting around. And that, this is over 40 years ago. But when I hear that song... I am right there, man. I am right in that place and time. Soul, body, spirit, you name it, mm -hmm. I'm there. It's unreal how a song can literally transport you somewhere else. Yeah, I think it, I think it is. Our brains are incredible things. I think, uh, you know, it's interesting. Um, they've actually found that, uh, that, you know, these songs are associated with emotions. And, and, you know, if you listen to a song that's, similar to your emotions it helps you often to express it if you listen to a song that's different it helps you to distract yourself uh it's helpful in both ways i mean you're having fun thinking about this and, and going back to that song it seems men more often use songs to express themselves the mixed tape there you go yeah <laughs> we've talked about the mixtape right yes. and the whole idea i don't know what to say to this girl i'll make her a mixtape yeah, that, yeah. that'll say everything i need to say <laughs> And women generally use music more to distract themselves. And uh, yeah, I think is, both. Is that true? Yeah. 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 Oh, wow. Yeah. So, I mean, you can use it both ways. But I think just that idea that you have the power to, to re-experience uh, positive and negative things depending on, depending on this. And I think this is something that people maybe know about already, but maybe don't realize that they can actually use um, and use it more to treat uh, their own mental health. I mean, sometimes you think, well, I can't listen to this music all the time to make myself feel better. But uh, the reality is that having a few minutes of, uh, you know, a positive experience in a 24-hour cycle helps the rest of the 24 hours, you know. And 
you can actually, or if you have a hot spot in your day when you know you're going to be stressed, having some uh, way to kind of get yourself out of that is a good thing. So sometimes it just takes being intentional and using some of these things to help ourselves, uh, you know, move through our day. DrCyrus.com is the website. His name is Dr. Cyrus Dirksen. He's a psychologist with Dr. Cyrus Dirksen and Associates. Greg Mackling is playing another... I'll just play us out here with a little (laughs) Snow White. (laughs) There's a reason why we listen to music while we're working, right? (laughs) It makes the day go by just a little bit easier. (laughs) Uh, Odd selection, but... uh, Why not? I started with Hulk Hogan, so we'll close with Snow White. <laughs> Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB. Meal planning. It is one of the things that frustrates all of us to no end, in my imagination, in my reality. It is something we challenge. It's a challenge for us uh, in our household every single week. Sometimes it's a day-to-day thing. Brett McGarry, do you do any uh, sort of meal planning? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I knew the answer before before I asked the question. Uh, for those with kids, the fact that our kids sometimes are picky eaters makes it even more difficult. A, a difficult task is escalated uh, dramatically. Vikram Vidge joins us now, and he's here to talk about transforming picky kids into more adventurous eaters. And Vikram has a, an incredible history of uh, providing hospitality. I like to use that word in the restaurant industry, and I know he does as well. Let's talk about making our kids uh, less picky, Vikram. Thanks for taking some time. Namaste, everybody. Looking forward to sharing uh, something that I learned at a very young age. I was a very, very picky kid. I loved uh, everything that was deep fried, anything that was not healthy, was not up my alley. Um, I hated everything that my mom used to make because she used to cook the hell out of everything. I never knew whether I was tasting an eggplant, a chicken, or a potato. So, you know, when I decided to partner with Chef's Plate, I wanted to keep all different elements of texture and flavor and sweetness and spices all differently. So if you go to Chef's Plate, right, chefsplate.com until uh, Sunday, April 16th, Vikram, what are people going to find there from you? Well, they're going to find um, a chicken biryani uh, recipe, which is biryani means rice that's cooked with all the vegetables. So it's a one pot curry. It's 40 minutes maximum. You can cook it. Uh, it's nutritious. It's healthy. It's uh, totally something that the kids be involved in. So they can come and, you know, cut the chicken breast if they want, or they can cut the green beans if they want. So you can involve them. You can laugh with them. You can make fun of them. And most importantly, you can have a meal that is made with pure love and joy and lots and lots of flavors. Because remember this, food and cuisine and music will solve the problems of the world, not the guns and definitely not the politics. Vikram, when you talk about love and delivering and making and incorporating it into the food that's what you do in the in the restaurant world right you you take that sort of different approach to things where you're delivering uh hospitality it's the word i used off the top and this whole idea of just 
being kind and opening the doors and bringing people in. Talk about that, that how that life philosophy and that business philosophy has been so select, successful for you. Pardon me. Well, the philosophy has been that you come to my house and I'm going to take care of you. So that's the, why, that's the reason why the restaurant is called Vidges and not Cuisine of India or Taj Mahal or anything else because I wanted people to come and feel as if they've just come to my house and I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to make them the best, you know, non-alcoholic drink or a glass of wine or a food that they're going to absolutely love and savor. So when that warm piece of naan bread comes in front of them, they love to break that bread with the family members that they're sitting with or they're with their friends and they'll dip into that sauce and say, wow, and they'll show the gratitude towards the animals and the plants that, that have sacrificed themselves for us. I mean, imagine this, they die so we can live. I mean, it doesn't get any more holistic than that. Think about it. Vikram, we have uh, about 90 seconds left here. Uh, in those final seconds, what is uh, your, your main key, your, your main thought into getting kids who are picky eaters to transform them into more adventurous eaters? Well, first of all, we have to stop calling them picky eaters because if we call them picky eaters, they become picky eaters. We should tell people that everybody has a different palate. Involve them into cooking. Let them taste it. Let them smell it. Let them enjoy it. Let them savor it. And honestly, the best thing would be is to start with the chef's plate dish. It's simple, it's elegant, it's sweet, it's tasty, and it's not spicy at all. So once you order it, once you get comfortable with the chef's plate, then you can move on and create your own recipes and your own sauces that you want. Look, we live in a world which is so multicultural. We live in a country that is so multicultural. Why not make our food very multicultural as well? Vikram, I know I'm toast when I'm rolling the dice and my kids walk into the kitchen and I'm plating out their food and they go, oh, what are we having today? When they don't know what they're having ahead of time, I know I'm setting up myself for failure. Uh, <laughs> you know, cooking is not a failure. Cooking is just purely fun. Do it with passion, do it with love, and that's all that matters at the end of the day. Thank that you. really is the most important thing. Thank you, Vikram. Vikram Vidge is an internationally renowned chef. His restaurant in Vancouver, a famous restaurant, Vidge's. And you have more information at chefsplate.com where you can see Vikram's recipe for family chicken biryani. Chefsplate.com, once again, is the website. It is 3.13 on Mackling and McGarry. Traffic and weather together. Next. Earlier today, Brett McGarry and I did the overland route to Transcona. Was what, about four hours round trip? <laughs> Just about. We stopped for a Slurpee on the way back, so it wasn't all bad. In fact, it was quite the experience. We went out to MPI, where the good folks there had set up a demonstration. A, a community service is what I'm describing this as, an opportunity for individuals to, in virtual reality and in living color, experience the perils of distracted, impaired, and drug driving. Yes, it was a presentation that they put on for students uh, from Transcona Collegiate. I want to say there were a little over a dozen students there. And they've created something called Driver X. It's a virtual reality, three-dimensional virtual reality environment. Uh, and so it's a step up from their previous simulator that they had, which was almost like that. It was you, had, you sat in front of these three massive screens that tried to provide you with this immersive 
uh, environment. But in this case, you get one of those virtual reality headsets. So there is like a, it looks like a, for all intents and purposes, like a like a bumper car or something where you would sit in it. It's got a steering wheel and gas pedal and a brake pedal. But once you put on this headset, you you are immersed into this world. And when you look down at the car, I can feel it. I know it's black, but once the, when you put on the headset, it's this sort of neon green. So you have this virtual representation of this physical thing in your hand. So that kind of blew me away. And then they turn on the scenario. So in my case, I was at a party with, I guess I was a teenager, I was a young person, I'm at this party, and it's a completely 3D world. You look in front of you, there's a DJ playing. You look to your right, and there is this girl talking to you, chatting your ear off about something. Uh, you turn to your left, and there is this dude who wants to go, I got we got to go meet up with Jane and Kate. I want to tell Kate how I feel. He's enticing you. He's He's telling you, in spite of the alcoholic beverages you may have consumed, ah, come on, let's go, let's get out of here. Well, I don't, in my case, I don't, I wasn't, I don't believe I was in the impaired driving scenario, but I was distracted, mm-hmm. and uh, because enough. once we moved into the car, when the idea is that you you start to drive, and then there's a cell phone sitting on your dashboard. So imagine you're 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 playing this, you're in this virtual world where you are at the wheel, and you control it you hit the gas and the car starts moving so i actually got nauseous right away because i wasn't anticipating how realistic it would feel like you're completely in this virtual reality and it felt real it was so realistic you start to drive and there's a cell phone like i said on the dash i guess it was supposed to be playing with a cell phone immediately because i got pulled over right away by this police officer this virtual police officer who gave me a warning stop playing with your phone well, of course, as soon as I, dr- I pull away, the phone rings again. So this time I actually picked it up and I started manipulating this. They're, they actually had a like a joystick sort of thing that was right. sitting on the, the physical dashboard. But in this virtual dashboard, it's represented as a cell phone. So I pick it up and I'm trying, just as I pick it up and I'm trying to play with this thing, uh, a child runs into the street and followed by this child's mother. I hit this woman in this virtual world and it was i was shocked and actually disturbed uh by how realistic it was or how gruesome it was and i think that was my reaction if you go to our facebook page the 680 cjob facebook page greg took a facebook live video of this and i'm pretty sure my reaction was wow that was surprisingly gruesome Mm -hmm. because her blood splatters onto the windshield uh and then the next thing you know i'm transported into the hospital room the emergency room where I'm on a gurney, but she is lying on the bed as doctors are trying to resuscitate her. Eventually, she dies. Her family then comes in. It's a father with his small child in his arms and another child who's looking at me saying, why did you take my mommy away from me? And the idea is that to show you what can happen in a split second if you're distracted while you're driving, if you're playing with your phone while you're driving... So hats off to Manitoba Public Insurance. They they ter- uh, teamed up with a local company called Project White Card, I believe is their name. I just want to confirm that. But they've created this Driver X the website. If you want more information on it, chooseyourreality.ca is the website. Chooseyourreality.ca, where you can see what 
a little bit what I went through. And again, you can go to our Facebook page, the 680 CJOB Facebook page, to see uh, some of my experience as uh, shot through the the, eye, the eyes of Greg Mackling's iPhone. It was an incredible experience. Well, we uh, to do it. And your reaction to it, I think, tells a, a huge story. So thank you to the folks at MPI for putting this together. And Brett, thanks for being the guinea pig on this, because I know you're a little bit uh, uncomfortable with the idea at first, but you've really done a great job in relaying uh, the emotions involved of a simulation. When we sit down with our kids and we tell them this is what could happen, now they can feel it. Now they can live it as close as you would ever want them to. 322 on 680 CJOB. Traffic, weather, sports, all up next. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling and Hal Anderson. Hello! Is here. Yes. Hal, have you been, have you uh, followed this saga where one of our listeners has been sending <laughs> us letters? You know, I, I, a little bit. I heard something about this, but fill me in. The background is Greg got a letter yes. from a listener who like was... Like a real snail mail letter. Yeah. Uh, they typed up a letter, and it was addressed to Greg, but it was about me. This listener was saying... Oh, it sounds like they're trying to split the two of you up. Well, no, it was actually they were concerned uh, because <laughs> they, she, this person says, you know, Brett's always there. He, when I, He's doing your show. He's reading the news on the weekend. He's got the yep. couch potatoes. Does he ever go home? Right. Like, does he sleep uh, like a feral cat under the stairs? <laughs> so here, so this person provided some coupons for Greg to take me out to A&W. <laughs> and, I bought him a Slurpee today. I took nice. him out today. Wow. <laughs> so then there was a follow-up letter from Trist, or to Tristan and it was about me. I can't remember what the, the context was. That was on Monday. Well, the, the context was that there is less concern for for you, yeah, I can't. And that, that the concern is shifting away from you, and and maybe towards TFJ. Yeah, I can't. and this is the same person sending you these mm-hmm. letters. Do you know who? Like, have you reached out or not? No. And the the third letter today, I guess, when Tristan came in and read this letter to us on Monday, I I <laughs> in, implied that it was a, a dude who was sending these letters. Yeah. So I <laughs> I get to work today, and there's this note, a little handwritten letter on my desk, and I thought, oh, I got, I finally got one to me. And it simply says in pen, not typed up this time. One, not a dude. Oh. Two, words hurt. Three, <laughs> sad face. And attached as a parting gift, some more Donkey Kong stickers that I was really excited about. <laughs> and then it says, formerly concerned listener. <laughs> You're okay now. No more worries. Mackling McGarry turning off listeners one at a time. I'll tell you since what. 2016. Over, over the years, I, I can, t- I, well, I, some of the stuff I can tell you about, some stuff I can't tell you about, the things that I have received over the years. I mean, I used to get, I, for several years I got from, I assume it was the same person, letters cards like love letters and love cards big you know lipstick lips real pressed on the envelope smelling like perfume and oh yeah oh, i remember you are also- those uh, the same letters you got when you were in prison Yes, that's right. person said. <laughs> By the way, I was your cellmate. <laughs> you remember the uh, I, one of my favorite things, the religious ranter. Oh gosh, and you know what? The real the, the religious ranter used to call uh, BJ and Hal all the time on yeah. Power ninety seven, and people used to think, "Oh, it's a setup." We didn't know who this guy was. We had no idea until his brother came up to me one time and thought that I knew who that his brother was the religious ranter. And I went, you're kidding. Really? So he told me, yes. So he told me, this is the first time I'm ever telling the story. So he told me where the guy worked. This was after years after uh, BJ and Hal were off the air. He told me where the guy worked. And I thought, I'm going to mess with this guy now. So I went, it was a paint store in town. 
And I went into the paint store <laughs> and I just walked in kind of like I'm looking for paint, right? And I knew the guy's name and they had a name, you know, his name tag on. And I'm just kind of like looking around, you know, and the guy, I could tell he was just going nuts, right? Because he's like, oh, no, like I can't believe I'm five feet away from this guy. And he used to call up and just give us a hard time about everything and went on and on. And then at some point I kind of turned to him and I laughed and I said, your brother let you die. Your brother told me. Cuts out of the bag, baby. So he was kind of relieved, I think, because he kept that secret for many years. But yeah, the guy used to call into the show. People thought it was one of the best bits ever and, you know, that we were planning it. And It was organic as heck. Completely organic, yeah. Last night I went out to the Oak Bullwinkles. It's now called Nashville's to see Age of Electric. I I asked, I said to uh, Austin Sarah on my show on the weekend, I said, where's this Nashville's? And he goes, and then uh, my buddy Dave Patrician said, hell, yeah, that was the Oak. That was Bullwinkles. I'm like, oh, okay. Now I know. Earlier yeah. today, we were talking about how music can take you back in time, yep. the soundtrack to your I, life, etc. I love you, you. This is another thing that I love about your show is you have these musical uh, people on, these bands on, you know, that... Maybe it maybe it fits, maybe it doesn't fit, but I love it because, you know, we're all in that, uh, you know, we can remember these things through these bands and these songs, and I love that. Yeah, it's well, great. We appreciate that. The idea of being transported by music. Mm. I mean, have you got a, an instance where you can cite, and I, do, I put you on the spot yeah, here. Yeah, let me think. Just this idea of music being able to take you back to a time and place, because last well, night... I remember my first kiss, Okay, uh, and and I remember the song was playing, it was uh, Freeze Frame. Remember that song, Freeze Frame? <laughs> Jay Giles get bad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I was giving a Sherry Evans, I was giving her a big kiss. Nice. It was the first and the last. And uh, <laughs> you failed the audition, did and, you? And uh, and I every time I hear uh, freeze frame, I cry. No, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> you guys looked at me like you thought I would actually cry. No, I don't cry. But yes, so so, so, that's, so an ex- that's, an, that's an example of you know how yeah. music takes you back. Sure, it's okay. Yeah. I'll never listen to freeze frame the same way again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'll be frozen in my mind. Yeah, that's Thanks right. You just picture Al. me big sloppy wet kiss with Sherry Evans. That's yeah. my own. That's my own fault. Mm-hmm. What you got coming up this weekend? Oh Al? wow! Listen, okay. So so many people have asked me about the surgery, right? Which I've I've lost all this weight. Uh, gastric sleeve surgery I had done in Toronto. So tomorrow morning, right at the top of the show, 7 a.m., the doctor who performed the no. surgery on me, Dr. Chris Colburn from Fantastic. Toronto, will be on the show. So we're going to talk about my case and other. It's kind of a cool, uh, you know, to have the success that I'm having with this weight loss is kind of cool because people are reaching out to their messaging me on Facebook and stuff, you know, people that are going through the same things that I, w- I went through. And, and it's kind of nice to say, here's what I've experienced. Here's what I'm, you know, so this is kind of my way to tell the story to everybody and hopefully others benefit. Brett, how's being modest again? You're inspiring people. Well, I to hope, take another look. I hope Al. so. And listen, I, I don't feel like I'm this. I've lost my weight and gained it many times over the years. And I think there were other times when my weight losses were inspiring. This one, I feel kind of like I cheated a bit, but I don't care. I was at the point where I needed to lose the weight, and this was a great tool for me. So I don't know if I'm, but I, I hope others are, are looking at me and going, hey, you know what? This Hal can do this. I can do this. And the reason I say that is because. Taking care of yourself is about your overall health. Yeah. It's not about a diet. It's not about what you eat or what you don't eat. It's about lifestyle change. And if that's what you needed to do, what you've done, then I think you've taken appropriate measures. And well, there are thanks. others in the in the same in the same yeah. boat as you. And and a lot of people are afraid to come forward and say, you know what? Maybe this is what I need to change mm-hmm. my life. And you've done it. Yeah, I, I I hope uh, yeah I hope that's the way it's working. You know, over the last several years, my Jackie, you have your Jackie, I have my Jackie. 
you know, I eat uh, way better now than I ever have in my life, but I'm in my early 50s and my metabolism <laughs> sucks. And so you can eat great all you want, but you're not dropping the pounds. So I, right. I needed the help, and this certainly worked for me. So, well, doctor, we're, we're glad you did yeah, that. Yeah, so Dr. Coburn's going to be on tomorrow. Um, cool. 100th anniversary of just a bunch of odds and ends here, and I'm not sure where they're going to fit on the show tomorrow or Sunday. Uh, 100th anniversary of uh, Vimy Ridge, that parade is happening on Sunday. Barry Burns will be on my show, so we'll talk to him about that. Amanda Lilly, speaking about diet, Amanda Lilly, I'm going to have her on to talk about transitioning to a plant-based diet, which I'm really kind of interested uh, to hear about. My weather expert buddy, Bruce Johnson, is going to be on the show. Dr. Ron Warb, my vet, because it's the time of year with, you know, ticks and allergies for your dogs and all that kind of stuff. So we're going to talk to him. Uh, And as far as giveaways go, I've got Brian Wilson tickets to give away. And, of course, we'll qualify more people for Al's Kitchen. So all that and much more tomorrow and again on Sunday morning between 7 and 10. Al Anderson, thank you so much. Thank you, boys. Traffic and weather together. Next. Cluche and Buckingham entering the studio. The news from 4 till 7. Lots on the go. Is there? What? What? Lots on the go? There's lots on the go. okay. (laughs) Just a bit. Yeah, just a bit. Sarcasm. In- including a groundbreaking announcement in healthcare today. We've been all over it uh, from one till two, and I imagine you'll pick up the baton at four o'clock, Julie. The very latest on it coming up on the news at four with Julie. And then Dr. Brock Wright, the chief medical officer at the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority, will join us in our 680 CJOB studios to talk about the the big picture and the specific changes that we'll see. Also, Dr. David Peachy, who co-authored the report, will be in studio as well, just to go over some of the finer points. And I think reaction at this point from what I'm seeing and hearing is mixed at best. There's definitely some trepidation out there. Um, But hearing some people are saying, well, this current system isn't working. Maybe we need to try something else. The irony, today is World Health Day. I think in the end, these changes are going to make a difference. And uh, if given the opportunity, because I don't think it'll bear uh, real fruit for another three, maybe five years in the end. But when you compare Winnipeg to other places, we uh, will have three well-equipped acute care 24-7 hospitals. You compare ourselves to Calgary, Edmonton, Ottawa, Hamilton, you know, who has six ERs? Um, none of those cities do. So this is one of those changes that uh, the politicians are sucking it up. I will give them credit for going ahead with this because Dewar didn't do it. Philman wanted to do it, but he was going to lose an election and did lose an election over health care. And uh, so now they're going ahead with changes that have been long on the books for 25 years. Part of our Live at Five coverage will be outside the Concordia, where not only will the ER change uh, close, that there will not be an urgent care center there either. So radical surgery on the healthcare system here today as well. But I'm very proud, and we're involved in this tonight, Greg, over at uh, Canadians in Windsor Park, uh, Winstock, for the Movement Center. I got an opportunity to spend some time with uh, a young woman by the name of Jamie Townsend, who back in 2007 went through the windshield of her car in Selkirk. It's a very moving story, and uh, we'll have that uh, between 4.45 and 5 o'clock this afternoon and um, a little Friday afternoon inspiration before we head out and uh, raise a whole lot of money for these folks tonight. I'm getting emotional because the time I spent at the Movement Center, Jamie was there. 
that Saturday morning. And when you see the work that's being done there, when we lament sometimes having to roll those recycling and garbage carts to the end of the driveway or to take our dog for a walk or play with the kids, uh, the clients at the Movement Centre would do anything to have the freedom to do those things. It's very powerful perspective. Another reminder to buckle up on your drive home, oh, of boy. course, as well. That incredible experience that Brett had today has mm-hmm. really brought that to life. And also going live on our 680 CJOB Facebook page is our Miranda Lambert Emoji Challenge. Oh, you'll love this, folks. Emoji Challenge. Yes, I've done three separate lines of emojis, and using those emojis, hopefully people will figure out the three Miranda Lambert songs. How long does it take you to put these things together? It took about not even five minutes. Okay. McGarry would get it like that. Mackling, uh, probably, like I had looked at it and went, oh... But, well, if you know her songs, it, yeah. it helps a lot. But I, I did that little contest during when the hip was here. I sure. sent the emojis to my brother and sister-in-law okay. who were waiting for the band to come on. And I did a head and then by and then I had the hundred. So a head by a century. So you, know, you can say yeah, a lot with emojis. Bumper, that bumper stumpers yeah. game show. Yeah, I was so, terrible at that one. So Check it out. It's on our 680 CJOB Facebook page when it goes live. The first correct answer that has all three songs in the right order will win. Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham. Originality. (laughs) Thank you so much, you guys. The news from 4 until 7 on 680 CJOB. Did you notice Greg Richard said, surgery on the healthcare system? That Richard Cloutier is a clever guy. You know, you always call me the king of segues. I think I have to relent my crown to (laughs) Sir Richard. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's all the time we have. Greg Mackling, thank you very much. Sir Jeff Fortier, thank you very much, sir, at Master Control. And thank you for listening to Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB.